0: Uh, Today, we're looking in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. John, chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus. Have you ever felt like you were really good at something, and then you got around some people who were really good at it, and you suddenly felt like a pedestrian or a child, uh, infantile in some way? This happens to me all the time. (laughs) I, uh, you know, I like to think I'm a smart guy and I like to think I'm well studied in theology and history, but then I go and I get around some professors uh, or some pastors who've been doing this much longer than I have, and I suddenly feel like a child. Uh, I, I can't hold a candle to the sorts of things that they know in the amount of time they've been studying scripture and following Christ. Uh, and I think it's good for me to get around them uh, regularly. It encourages growth, but it, it happens all the time. And no matter how much I read and no matter how much I study, there's just these people who are way past me. I also enjoy running. Uh, I've always enjoyed running. I think it's fun. Uh, there's some of you who know that that's foolish. Uh, and uh, you're right, but I think it's fun, and I enjoy doing it. And, uh, and so I, I like to run. I run a lot. Uh, I, I'm the kind of person who has opinions on shoes. If you want to talk about running shoes, I, I've got suggestions for you and opinions about what works for what kind of person. And, uh, and I like to think I'm pretty quick. I can run at respectable pace for my age. I can usually, about every day of the week, I can do an eight and a half minute mile for a 5K. And, uh, and so I've got it every, every day of the week, eight and a half minute. But for a race day, uh, I can probably get to eight-minute miles if I have enough caffeine and ibuprofen in me that I can probably do an eight-minute mile. And I feel like that's something to be proud about. Well, you know, just a week ago, I was talking to some high school runners, and, uh, and they're telling me about their seven-minute miles, and suddenly I feel like the poster boy for Centrum Silver, you know? I... uh I got nothing. I'm way out of my depth talking to them. I might as well be jogging with a walker uh, in hand as to try and compete uh, with those ones who really know how to run. This is exactly what it's like when Nicodemus comes to Jesus today. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is a Pharisee. He's not just a part of the leading political party. the rulers in Israel at this time. And he comes to Jesus, and he finds that he is immediately out of his depth talking to Jesus, and he has nothing to contribute to this conversation. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man from the Pharisees named a ruler of the Jews. Now this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, "'Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.'" "'Well, how can anyone be born again when he is old?' Nicodemus asked. "'Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born?' Jesus answered, "'Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again.'" The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. Are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify what we've seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way He gave His one and only Son, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. Light comes into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. This is the word of the Lord for us. Nicodemus is referred to here as a man from the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees are a religious political party. They're both. Um, as the various uh, groups of of Jewish people at the time, whether it be the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, there's these different groups and they have different theologies. They believe different things, slightly different things about God or about how they're supposed to obey God, but they end up being political parties because they're vying for authority and position over the temple and so over the people in the way they worship. And at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees are the largest party and they are in control. The Sadducees are here in the Gospels, but they're the minority party. And so Nicodemus, he's not just one of the majority party. He is one of the rulers and leaders. He is one of the higher-ups. And he comes to Jesus at night in secrecy so that they can have a private conversation. This probably is good about Nicodemus. Uh, Because as you know, anytime a politician is in front of a camera, they have to be on, right? And, uh, And this is probably good. He wants to have an honest conversation with Jesus outside of the spotlight so they can speak freely together. And the way he starts it is by calling Jesus rabbi. He says, rabbi, we recognize that you are a teacher come from God. Nicodemus identifies him, you know, not as a lower person. Nicodemus doesn't come to him and say, hey, I'm in charge. Who are you? Nicodemus calls him rabbi. And he says, I know that you're from God. I've seen the miracles. So I I know that you're from God. So he comes to Jesus on those terms, but Nicodemus finds out that he is immediately out of his depth when he comes to talk to Jesus. He's not just talking to a prophet or a rabbi, somebody who has come down from God. He's talking to God himself. First, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. That is to say, all the contributions that Nicodemus thinks he has done, that God is going to honor, are worth nothing, and he has to start all over again. This is the same as when Jesus comes into our lives. We all do the arithmetic of our good and our bad in our lives. You know, We all do the math from time to time and say, how, how am I doing? How evil am I? You know, how much bad stuff has I done? And, and some of you know that your sins are great. And before coming to Christ, lived with that crippling pain of knowing what kind of great sinner you were and the need for grace that you had. Others kind of have favorable math towards themselves, like Nicodemus. I've done pretty good. I'm keeping the law. I'm fairly whole. I know what I need to know. I'm leading the way I'm supposed to be leading. I, I feel generally pretty good. There's been some sin there, but you know, I'm all right. It hasn't been like his sin. It's just been you know casual. It's at least been quiet, and I've been able to keep it a secret. But no matter how we do the math for our lives, when you come to Christ, you must be born again. We don't bring anything to him that he needs. We don't at some point in our life show up and say, Well, I've got some things to contribute to your kingdom, Jesus. Let me allow me uh, to work my magic and to bring in all the good things that I can do and look at all that I have to offer you. When we come to Christ, we find that he needs nothing from us. Jesus says to Nicodemus, I have not come to join your movement. You can join my movement, but everything you've done up till now counts for nothing. You must start fresh and be born again. When we come into Christ's kingdom, we don't bring anything with us. He has done all of it for us. Nothing we've done impresses God. None of it counts for anything because He has done all that He needs to do. He has done all that we need Him to do for us. So then uh, Nicodemus responds and says, well, how, how do you start again? How can you be born again? And Jesus answers him by saying, verse seven, don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus says to him, Nicodemus asks, How? How can we understand this? How does this work? He wants to know systematically how everything is going to go. And Jesus tells him, You can't control or predict. The movements of God. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. He goes where he's going, and that's the end of it. This is not to say that God works randomly. The Holy Spirit is not in the world working chaotically or randomly. God has his purposes and his plans. It's just that his purposes and his plans are not exposed for us to understand. He has, he has no need to explain them to us. He does what he wants to do, and we can't gain control over his plans. And that seems to be uh, what Nicodemus wants to do. How can I be a part of this? What can I do? How can we fold you into our movement? You know, We know you've come from God. Let's work together. But what Jesus says is no. The movement of the kingdom of God works by the will of God only. And as far as you know, as much as you can understand it, it, it will look random. It's not. What it means is you can't control the movement of God. And neither can we, as it turns out. God is at work even today. And God is continually at work. When the Holy Spirit came into the world powerfully at Pentecost, it came into the lives of believers, and every believer since then has received the Holy Spirit in the same manner. God is still at work. That Holy Spirit that at creation was hovering over the surface of the water is still at work in the world, not chaotically, not randomly, exactly as He intends, but His will and His plans, His movements, Cannot be controlled by us. We can't force his hand or demand he work on our terms. He works on his terms. We look for the movement of the Holy Spirit and jump in wherever we can. We don't say, "Hey, we're trying to do some good stuff here. Come and get it right for us." Where Where, where are you? What are you doing? All we do is look for the movement of the Holy Spirit and run over there and say, "How can I help? What can I do? I'm in." In any way, we can't control the movement of God, but we can offer ourselves completely when we see the Holy Spirit moving. Uh, A great illustration uh, for this uh, Holy Spirit movement is a humidifier. Now, you may not know what a humidifier is because we live in South Carolina, and at no point has anyone ever said, You know what this room needs? More humidity. That's what this room needs. But In other places, when the room is too dry or the air is frozen and there's no humidity in a child's room, you turn on the humidifier. And so I've had plenty of these uh, in time. And it's always kind of fun to watch. It's a little mesmerizing. It's a little bit not as mesmerizing as looking into a fire, but it's kind of cool to watch because you can see now the movement in the air in the room uh, by the vapor of the humidity coming out of the humidifier. And you've got to blow on it a little bit and see it move around in different ways. It's like this with the Holy Spirit. We may not know what he is doing, but rest assured that God has not stopped moving. He is the one who makes the headlines, (laughs) whether he shows up in the headlines of the newspaper. He is the one who's doing what is really important in the world today. He is the one who is moving things around, who is steering his kingdom, who is bringing about, and not just our individual lives, but all of history towards his purposes We can't control him. All we can do is jump in when we see him at work and offer ourselves completely to his control and not the other way around. Jesus then tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, how? Explain it to me. How can this be? How does it work? I want to understand it. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus then is verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man, the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The idea is Nicodemus is... Wanting to understand, explain it to me. You know, I I know the scriptures. I'm living a righteous life. I, I, I'm a smart guy. I want to understand these things. And Jesus says, "There's a limit to the understanding for you." And in fact, this information that's coming from God, it's not the sort of thing where someone was holy enough, someone was wise enough. Someone was smart enough to have some mystical experience and go up to heaven to receive the word of God and bring the word of God down for the people. This is how it has happened in the times and uh, history of Israel. Moses went up on the mountainside, he literally got the word of God and brought it down to the people. This could be said of what was happening with all the prophets. The prophets went away and received the Word of God, sometimes in just miraculous visions and in dreams that God brought to them. But here Jesus says to Nicodemus, the knowledge of God is not something that you can rise up to get. God Himself is coming down to bring it to you. Jesus says, I'm not just a rabbi. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not like you who was wise enough or holy enough or smart enough to bring the Word of God down to you. I am the Word of God. Come into the world. I am God Himself, and I am standing here to explain these things to you. And as for Nicodemus, you're just not going to be able to understand all that there is. Understanding is something that we are limited in. We're awfully smart, aren't we? just in general, you know, maybe not us individually, uh, but altogether, we've come up with some really intelligent stuff. Uh, Still, I think the most important invention for our uh, civilization is antiseptics, antibiotics, you know, not dying uh, off of simple infections is huge. And that's the foundation of so much of our lives. But then again, through other medical technologies, infant mortality rates have plummeted which is incredible. And the grace of God, we got all kinds of fantastic technology. Cell phones are cool, but they're not even the best part of it. Did you know that now you can buy as a part of your central air conditioning system in your house, dehumidifiers that will suck the moisture out of the air in your house so that it will be dry in there for the first time ever? Thanks be to God for that technology. Am I right? We're awfully smart, but... There is a limit to our intelligence and understanding. By creation, God has made us greater than the rest of creation, but we still can't just know the mind of God. We're not on his level. We do not have the capacity to know at that level. But what's more, not only are we limited by creation, we're also limited by sin. We're broken. We always think we're thinking rationally, and a lot of times we aren't. Our own logic circuits are broken to where we think we've figured it out and we know the answers and we've comprehended the problems, and yet we're way off because we're not just limited by creation, we're also limited by the fact that we're broken in the fall. And so our limit to knowledge comes there as well. And what Jesus says to Nicodemus here is, you're not smart enough, or in another way, you're not holy enough to know. No one's ascending into heaven to bring the knowledge of God down. You can't contribute in this way either, Nicodemus, nor can you properly understand and master all that God is bringing here. But God himself will come down into your life and bring the truth. This is like what's happening here. Going to the doctor and getting bad news, bad news, bad news, but great news. It is you need to be born again. Nothing you've done counts for anything. You have to start all over again. Bad news. You can't control God. You can only offer yourself to Him to be controlled by Him. And you're neither smart enough nor holy enough to understand or get in control here. Bad news, bad news, bad news, but good news, great news. God has come down into the world to offer the truth to all of us. You know, any any good elementary school teacher knows that in order to teach a young child, you have to get on their level physically. So if you go walk through an elementary school and you see the kindergarten and the first grade classrooms, the good teachers are always down like this teaching children. Uh, They must have the strength of umpires because they sit like this a lot, or sitting in a chair or stool or on the floor because a really good teacher gets down on the level of children to explain to the children what's going on. This is what God has done for us. We come to him as kindergarteners. But God Himself has stooped down out of heaven. Jesus came down onto our level. For God has so loved the world that He sent His only Son that we could know God, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be brought into His kingdom and made to be His. So great is the love of God That he has come down. This passage today is bad news, bad news, bad news. Great news. We've got but he's got everything for us. This passage will remind you of last Sunday when we talked about Jesus water into wine. How the master of ceremonies at that wedding says, man, everybody brings out the good stuff and then it's all downhill from there. But here in this feast, in this kingdom, it's good stuff, good stuff, better stuff, great stuff. Following Christ, it only gets sweeter and sweeter. We come to know this from God as well. There is only better news. The more you get to know God, the better off you will find Him to be. The longer in your life you go on trusting Him, the more trustworthy you discover Him to be. The more gracious you realize He is. This is our God. And He brings His own illustration at this point. He says, you remember the snake? (laughs) The serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness, that's me. It's an interesting passage, kind of there in the book of Numbers, in which the people of Israel have been led out of slavery in Egypt, and they're wandering through the wilderness on their way to the good land. They're going through the bad land. They're headed towards the good land. God has promised it to them. He's going to give it to them. All they have to do is walk through the wilderness to get to it, and God's leading them the whole way. There's a column of fire, a pillar of fire coming down out of the sky during the day so they can see and follow in that line. Uh, Sorry, fire at night, cloud during the day. Thanks for the help on that one. Uh, It's a a pillar of clouds during the day and fire at night that's leading them through the wilderness. They don't have to worry about food. They just wake up in the morning and everything they need to eat is laying around on the ground around them. God provides nourishment. He provides direction. He is with them. And along the way, the people of Israel start to grumble. And they start to say, get this, gosh, we were so much better off back when we were slaves in Egypt. Looks up there at the bronze serpent will be healed. Even if they are bitten and dying, if they look up at that, they will be healed. And it's a bit of a strange passage in the Old Testament until you come to right here, And the one who has come down out of heaven to explain this says, that was about me. Because anyone who looks at the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, anyone who believes in Christ, who is going to be risen up on the cross, lifted up on the cross, whoever looks to Him and believes will have their sins forgiven. Though they are attacked, yet they will live. Though we are sinners who are dying, yet we will have eternal life. To be a Christian means to walk through this world with with temptations, having been sinners, still struggling over sin, but whoever believes, whoever will look up at that cross, our Savior Jesus Christ, and believe that His death paid for everything we've done. We have our forgiveness and our eternal life in Christ. Though we may die, yet will we live too. Here's what God has to say about it. God so loved the world, or as our, passage, our translation says, God loved the world in this way. In what way has God loved the world? That He sent His one and only Son. That whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have not just life, but eternal life in Him. Why did He come into the world? He came into the world Not to condemn it, but to save the world. Do you know what God wants? This Holy Spirit, whose ways are inscrutable, who you can't command to do things or gain control over, do you know what He's out there doing? Do you know what this God wants? He wants to save you. He wants to save them. Christ didn't come and die on the cross because He wanted to send everyone on a guilt trip, but because He wanted for His death to be the payment for all their sins. He has loved the world in this way. He has loved you in this way. There remain then only two kinds of people. Anyone who believes is not condemned any longer. But the one who does not believe still stands condemned for their sins rightly under the judgment that we were all rightly under until we believed. So come to Him today and believe. If you haven't, today is the day for salvation for you. What does it take for us to go from being condemned to not condemned? Put your trust in Christ today. Knowing that you don't bring anything to the relationship, that you're not going to receive control over your life, his work in your life, but that you will receive forgiveness, participation in his kingdom, eternal life and purpose. Come and be in Jesus Christ today. That's what he wants for you. So come and have it. Because while there's two kinds, condemned or not condemned, there's really only one kind of person. And that is this light has come into the world. But people love darkness because their deeds were evil. Light comes into the world and no one's excited about it because their deeds are evil. The good stuff comes and we flee from it because our deeds are evil. This happens from the beginning. As Trevor preached about three weeks ago, and uh, three or four weeks ago, I've lost track. But as Trevor preached about from uh, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin and what's the first thing they do? They go looking for some darkness so they can hide. They go looking to clothe themselves and cover their shame in whatever way they can to light comes into the world and they are fleeing from it because their deeds are evil. And this is all of us. We avoid the light because we don't want to be exposed. But I tell you, the way to salvation is to believe that the light has come into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. If you believe, then today, pull your sins out in front of Him. Bring them into the light and confess them to this God and know that anyone who is faithful to confess, He is faithful to forgive. The inclination of our hearts is to try to hide our sins. But the way we're forgiven is that anyone who lives in the light, who brings them to the light, will have the forgiveness of their sin. Don't wait any longer. But confess to Christ and turn away from it. Repent from those sins today. In conclusion, we can't do anything good enough to impress God. We don't bring anything to our relationship with Him. It doesn't matter what kind of arithmetic we use to try and weigh out our good versus our bad in our lives. We bring nothing. We can't control or predict Him. Nor can we keep control over our lives when we are in Christ. But we don't need it. It is better that He be in control of our lives. Neither are any of us really smart enough or holy enough But God has come down to our level because His desire is your salvation. So come today and believe. Come and bring your sins into the light. Confess them and repent of them. Come and live by truth. Do the work of God. Look at this last verse, 21. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. To be in Christ means we believe, that is, we live in the truth. We don't just like the truth as an idea, we live by it. And So we live in the light. We don't just come into it every now and again when we need confession time. To be in the light is to live a life in the light. First to have exposed our sins to Him, but then for the rest of our lives, to allow it to be exposed that anything good we did was the work of God in us so that everyone else can see when we are in the light that Christ accomplishes mighty things through those who put their trust in Him. And you too can come into the light and put your trust in Christ. Father God, I thank You that You are so patient and so gracious That you've stooped down to our level, that you descended out of heaven and took on flesh to come into our world and into our lives, that our sins are forgiven by your death on the cross, that you are alive and you hold the keys of death for everyone who puts their trust in you, that we will have our eternal life with you. I thank you that your spirit is at work in the world today and in our lives, in our hearts, in this room, in this congregation. Father, give us the strength to believe, even when it is difficult. This I pray in your name. Amen.